Hey, welcome to another Ultimate Frisbee-related episode of Going Deep with Aaron Watson. If you have been tuning along, then you'll have previously enjoyed interviews with the Dallas Roughnecks owner, Jim Garrenser, and the Montreal Royale owner, Jean-Levy Champagne. You'll have also enjoyed conversations with Exton Titcomb of the Seattle Cascades and Jim Lloyd of three Canadian AUDL franchises, including the Toronto Rush. Today's guest is the owner of the DC Breeze. Don Grage has a long history and background in entrepreneurship, including successful information technology companies. But this whole professional ultimate thing is a new and unique challenge that he is excited to be tackling. And over the last three years, he has greatly improved the results of the DC Breeze. They've been competitive in the playoffs in the most recent season. And we got real about what attracted him to the sport, along with how he sees the future of professional ultimate unfolding. If you've been enjoying these conversations, I also encourage you to sign up for our newsletter so you can get word of when we finally release the oral history book that's going to be summarizing these conversations and a few others that will not be released in podcast episodes. But I'll stop rambling and simply let us get to my conversation with Don Grage. You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. So, Don, thank you so much uh, for coming on. Welcome to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Thanks very much, Aaron. It's great to be here. Uh, I uh, want to talk to you all about the AUDL and the DC Breeze. Uh, but before we do that, to lay a little bit of context for people, uh, this is not your first business, certainly not your first entrepreneurial endeavor. So in order to help listeners play a little bit of catch up, uh, leading into your experience with Professional Ultimate, can you talk a little bit about your background, some of the businesses that you've been a part of before you found your way to the AUDL? Sure, I'd be happy to. In fact, um, yeah, I've basically been an entrepreneur my entire life, I guess you could say. I started uh, with a friend, a skimboard company, when I was still in high school. And um, by the time I got into my freshman year of college, I had another friend, and I was still doing the skimboard company, and I started a waterproof wallet company. Um, so that's I did all that stuff, even you know, barely getting into college. And uh, let's see, and then after, after college, I worked for a few years with a plan from the beginning to um, spend a few years working and then get an MBA. And so I went from, uh, you know, UCLA and uh, the L.A. scene out here to the East Coast to Georgetown to get an MBA. And then as soon as I graduated with an MBA, I started a multimedia company, which was in the 90s. And as most people would recognize, the multimedia companies in the 90s by the late 90s were all turning into Internet companies. So I rode that whole wave, uh, had, a, had an awesome time doing it. And I've been in IT businesses ever since. And I've gone through quite a few quite a few other businesses through mergers, acquisitions, the boom and the bust of the internet, and uh, a lot of IT and much more uh, data analytics-oriented IT stuff ever since then. With such a diverse background, it's no surprise that you are attracted to the entrepreneurial side of running a business like an AUDL franchise. But I always love asking owners of current AUDL franchises... Mm -hmm. uh, how they first became aware of the AUDL or how they first 
became interested in being more than an observer, a fan? Uh, what what was the catalyst for? Hey, I want to go get involved. <laughs> um, there's a very obvious moment that I'd, I'm happy to share. It was uh, November of 2013, and um, even though I can tell you a little bit about my ultimate background uh, later, but. Um, so I was not involved at all in the club scene or the you know elite ultimate scene in college or anything. So um, I didn't know anything about the pro leagues, and it was I was on a, a United Airlines flight, and as I always do when I hop on a flight, I pick up the magazine, which in United's case is the Hemispheres magazine, and flip to the table of contents. And one of the items in the table of contents said, "Is ultimate the next great spectator sport?" with a question mark. So like any you know, sane person at the time, I figured, oh, they must be talking about ultimate fighting or something. But just in the small chance that this is about ultimate, I'm, you know, going to pop over to page 57 and see what's up. So I did, and and there it was, a big article about the fact that there are two professional leagues, and, um, you know, they're, they're brand new, and all this whole crazy thing is happening where this sport is trying to go pro, and, you know, and from that moment, you know, I don't know, it, it, it's kind of funny to say, but, you know, that was one of the most intriguing things I'd seen in a long time, even though I'd done a bunch of different businesses, because I've always loved sports. I've always thought Ultimate was a great sport, and I've always loved business, and I never even thought of, like, putting it all together, um, other than, you know, the casual fantasy of wouldn't that be neat to someday own a minor league baseball team or a soccer team or something, because, uh, you know, I love those sports as well, but um, what a concept, and so I, I dove right in, and three weeks later, after a ridiculous amount of, uh, of hours of due diligence and everything, uh, I, I became a half owner of the breeze. Yeah. And, and the interesting part of your story that hasn't necessarily been the case with a number of the number of the other people that we've interviewed is that you were not starting the franchise from scratch. There was previous ownership that had come under some financial strain. Mm -hmm. And even like an Alt-World article, you've been painted as this kind of savior of the franchise. (laughs) Um, And I'm sure sure that's not necessarily the moniker that you want to roll with. Absolutely not. (laughs) uh, But I'm curious... you know, there's this greater conversation that's been going on for a few years now about the financial viability of professional ultimate, even the the notion that this becomes a spectator sport as opposed to kind of the rich history of it being a very player centric sport. Mm-hmm. Um, just is, is a really interesting thing to unpack. So I'm curious uh, how you've thought about that how that's kind of weighed into or measured into your internal calculus in terms of making this type of business decision and what that process was like getting involved initially? Well, I guess, you know, initially it was it was just kind of a, a, a crazy thought, like, wow, somebody's actually gone out there, a group of people have gone out there and actually tried to make a pro sport out of this. And, you know, and really since I was 18 when I was first exposed to the sport, I thought from day one that this would be a fantastic spectator sport, but you know, isn't that kind of funny? Because it's just you know played by a bunch of people and nobody ever watches. People just participate. So, isn't that a funny concept? And then when I found out that somebody was actually out there doing it, I just I thought, wow, this is incredible. So it was. It really started as just a this would be this could be the most fun hobby, if you will, ever. You know, don't plan to quit my job or in in my case, uh, you know resign from my ownership of my couple companies. <laughs> but um, but I really want to look into this and I really want to try to make it happen. And um, 
you know, so that's really how it started. And so I met with um, Aaron Foreman, who was the, the guy who had bought the franchise. And he had um, made his way through the 2013 season, even though his investor partner at the time had had to back out. Um, so he was in a bit of a bind just because he uh, you know, was doing it on his own when he thought he was, would be doing it with a partner. So I'm very impressed with what he and his family were able to make happen for the first year. Uh, but he really needed somebody to come in that was uh, uh, entrepreneurial and, you know, of course, had a little bit of money and, and so forth. So um, that's really how it started. And from the very first couple meetings, we met with some of the players, um, John Pressamone, Liam Shramko, et cetera, some of these guys that had been in the 2013 season. And that, that's really what hooked me, to be honest with you. It's the, these guys were the, the exact opposite of what I kind of feel like a lot of athletes are, you know, that they, a lot of athletes feel kind of entitled and, you know, like prima donnas and so forth. And they're, you know, they're treated that way from a young age. So to some extent it makes sense, but these guys were the opposite. They were just very genuine people, passionate about the sport and just love the idea of, you know, the, the pro league being able to grow the sport and expose it to more people. And we're really willing to do anything and everything to help make that happen from a player standpoint. And that's, that was really what totally hooked me. And the more players I got to meet, the more players I got to know, almost all of them are like that. And they still are to this day, you know, at some point we'll hopefully make enough money to start tainting them, I guess, if you will. (laughs) But, um, um, I, you know, they're just genuine, great people. And that, that just kind of really makes it all worthwhile because it's a, it's a crazy amount of, of effort, time, and, you know, and a decent chunk of money to do this. As, as you know, the same thing's happening in Pittsburgh where you play um, and all over the country. It's just, it, it's a lot of work. It's a, and it's a lot of effort. And if it's, if you're doing it for people you don't, that you, know, you don't respect or don't care about, then it's not worth it. But it's, that's absolutely not the case here. Certainly. And, and to the point of the players and that, that key variable in all of the variables that lead to the success of a team uh, and, and your capital expenditure, you have gone out and consistently brought talent into D.C. in addition to attracting the best players in the city to come play in the AUDL mm-hmm. as opposed to the MLU. Uh, the first year that was to my good friends Alex Thorne and Tyler DiGirolamo. More recently, you have the Chicago contingent, Matzuka and Helton and Bob Blue, and you've also, you know, over the course of a few years, attracted uh, some of the best DC players, Kolick, Wodach, and, and all the other guys we can go on down the list. To what do you attribute your success in wooing these players? Because I think that an important thing to explain for folks out there who may not necessarily be looking under the hood with a lot of this stuff is that it's not usually exclusively a monetary decision. I I know from uh, that summer, or I'm sorry, that winter where Tyler and Alex were making their different choices, they had other options on the table for teams to participate in. And the same is true with a lot of these other examples. What do you attribute your success in bringing these different players in? Um, Well, gosh, I think part of it is definitely the growth of the AUDL. I mean, there's no question about it that, um, you know, if the AUDL weren't, weren't so, so strong or at least moving in, in such a positive direction, it would be very difficult to, uh, convince people to play, maybe play it, play pro at all, let alone play AUDL versus MLU. Um, so I certainly attribute a lot of it to that. And then the other thing, I guess, you know, I'm, 
I learned a lot going through the 90s and trying to build an internet firm because back then the the people that came out of college that were strong programmers they were they were the rock stars and we had to do some crazy things to get them to um, join our company <laughs> you know especially because I was in smaller companies and there were bigger companies wooing them with more money and you know so I learned a lot about about recruiting I guess and and what I learned is that you really, really have to think about everything as a win-win situation, and you have to do a lot to put your, just kind of put yourself in the in the shoes of the of the player or the or back then the you know the IT candidate, um, and try to and try to just and, and be open about the fact that if this doesn't work for them, then they shouldn't they shouldn't be joining. Um, but how do we make it work for for that other person? You know, it's not about what's good for the breeze because. We don't, you know, we can't throw more money at you. We don't, we don't have the money to throw at you. And like you said, you're absolutely right. It's, it's not a monetary decision. Um, it is a, it's a decision based on what, what the player wants to do, what the player, you know, what kind of experience the player wants. Um, you know, it, it's, a, it's a lot of things that have nothing to do with money. So really that's what I've, you know, what I've always done with my businesses and, and always had to do because I didn't have as much money as the bigger companies that were trying to hire similar people. So try hard to just get the, you know, get a a good relationship to really get to know people. I had four dinners with Alan Kolick before he ever agreed to play for me or for the breeze. Um, and I had, God, I can't even tell you how many phone calls I had with your friend Alex back in 2000, late 2013. And, uh, that was one of the most exciting days of my life, uh, you know, less than a month after I had actually signed on as, uh, as owner of the team um, for Alex and Ty to say yes that, that late December when they were on their way to a, 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 a holiday vacation. So, you know, I guess that's, I, I, I guess I don't have much else to say other than, you know, it's, uh, it's a good situation. I've got a, you know, I have, a, I have a, pro- a good product to sell being part of the AUDL. And I worked very hard to just get to know people and know what would what would be good for them and, and to make a situation that was the best case. Yeah. Another thing that I'm always curious to discuss with folks who fall into the category of serial entrepreneur is the notion of how they think about time and how they think about the investment of their time. Uh, one of the one of the great lessons that I've learned from a few of my mentors is in different forms. So they'll, they'll teach me about the notion of the planning fallacy. For those out there who don't know what that is, that was first proposed by Daniel Kahneman. And it's this phenomenon that when people predict how long a task will take, usually due to optimism, they'll underestimate how long it takes to see a project through or to accomplish a goal. And uh, given that you've had these past successes in the business world, I'm really curious how you think about the both time and capital investment that you've put into the DC Breeze and the AUDL, and uh, if you can speak to you know maybe expecting a certain payoff in five years versus ten years <laughs> versus however long it may be. I'd, I'd love for you to uh, explain your thinking on that a little bit. Oh wow! All right. Well, I guess we can start with the fact that I expected this to be. Yeah, maybe 15 to 20 hours a week, um, you know, plus game days. And I was off by a factor of maybe four. <laughs> and I'm not sure how I find the time because I haven't taken anything out of my life. And and yet I'm still finding 60 plus hours a week to, to do this. And 
Uh, I'm sure everything is suffering slightly, but you know, I have three kids and I still see them every night and I help with homework and, and then I get back on my laptop for four or five hours. <laughs> so, you know, so it is a huge investment in time. Um, it could absolutely easily be a full-time job. Um, and I'm, and I'm really in, uh, jealous of, uh, people like, uh, Andrew Gardner, who runs the Pittsburgh team that he actually can do this pretty much full-time. Um, and there are a couple others out there, but most of us are ownership groups that, you know, have a team of people and that, that management team, um, you know, all of, all of them find their, they find their way to get things, get things accomplished, even though they have their lives, they have their jobs, they have their families, et cetera. And, you know, I'm no exception. I have, uh, four other, uh, ownership partners and, you know, everybody contributes and we, we get together on the phone every week or two and, and we figure out what needs to be done. And, you know, it's a, it's a team effort, um, but it's a lot of effort. And how do you guys go about sharing the different roles and, and the different hats that need to be carried for the team? Uh, well, it's, it's certainly based on skill level and network, uh, you know, the kind of what you've done in the past and the, and the people, you know, and everything. Um, so I, as managing partner, I act as kind of, you know, coordinator and COO, if you will. And so we, we agree to tasks. I, I maintain uh, different lists. We do a lot of, uh, you know, Google spreadsheets and things. Um, and, and some other, some other things similar. And so we keep track of what, what needs to be done. And, um, and then on our, on our calls, we, we talk about what's been accomplished, talk about what we can help with, talk about the other things that need to be done over the next month and who can take it on or who can help me with what, or who can meet me because I have a potential sponsorship meeting. Um, so which one of you can meet me there, et cetera. So we just, you know, we, we work our, our way through in that capacity and then, of course, you know, on game days uh, or leading during the season, uh, there's just uh, there's a lot to do there too. So it, it turns into much more tactical stuff, I would say, over the course of uh, when we get near the season. And this time of year, it's a lot more. You know, there's research and there's looking into things that might might take us to the next level. Uh, well, it's definitely exciting the work that you guys are doing, and I know that. Uh, many owners also have an eye for the future, and you, you mentioned the goal of eventually uh, turning the, the players into divas with the uh, the pay increasing <laughs> and whatnot. But I'm also I hope curious. that doesn't happen. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> of course, uh, I'm also curious if you could uh, maybe get real with us for a little bit about some of the biggest challenges or obstacles that you see on the horizon, be it for just your franchise or the league in general, that you maybe really spend most of your brain power thinking about how to solve in the coming years for professional ultimate sure well um first i'd like to i'd like to say that you know we uh, yeah i do have a goal i kind of uh it was another part of your your last question i think is related that um you know what's my what's my financial goal or what's uh, what's going to make me happy that i did this and and really Sure. Franchise, uh, a, a very high franchise value at some point in the future is a nice, it's not only just a nice thing, but it would be a nice measurement of success. And, you know, as an entrepreneur, adding franchise value um, is probably, especially related to sports, even more important than having a huge cash flow in terms of, in terms of how you'd measure that success. But, but really, my, my current uh, measure of success and my current goal is to reach a point uh, and, a, and a revenue model where players can make a living playing this game. You know, that's really what, that's my measure of success. I think that's the, the best thing I could do for the sport and the players right now. So I do hope to make that happen. Now, in terms of getting there, and the challenges, uh, you know, I think it's 
pretty obvious to me that our biggest challenge is that we need a order or orders of magnitude more awareness in our sport as a spectator sport and frankly as a sport itself. And yet we don't have the money to do it. We don't have the money for mass media. So that's that's the big challenge. And that's what we're we're all working very hard at is how do we capitalize on social media in particular, but also word of mouth and getting, how do we get people involved? How do we get people interested, aware and then interested in our sport when we don't do radio advertising, let alone TV advertising, you know, let alone a Super Bowl ad. So we can't reach mass audiences um, by any of the traditional means. So it means we have to be extremely creative. And fortunately for the AUDL, a lot of very very creative and intelligent and uh, well-experienced owners have jumped into the fold that that have already done these things or actually get paid to do these things for their clients. So I think we're moving in the right direction, but that is clearly, to me, the biggest challenge. How do we get all that accomplished without uh, a lot of money? One of the things that's really surprised me in the first two years of the Pittsburgh Thunderbirds is how different people ascribe, I don't, I don't know, you, some people jokingly say like hashtag legitimacy, but <laughs> honestly, like as you kind of expose the sport to your network and your friends who've maybe never seen you play before or whatnot, um, you know, there's, it's, I feel like there's always different posts that are being shared on Facebook or Twitter or these other social media arenas that you've mentioned, but we actually did on the Thunderbirds a couple radio spots at the very end of the season promoting uh, the playoff game and I think like the last two or three home games Mm -hmm. and it was it was shocking to me you know I I host a podcast I'm like fully chips in on all kind of like the digital media and yet we we did this brief little radio spot that I think played maybe like once or twice and I had multiple people be a family member kind of like a friend of a friend say hey I heard you on the radio like this is this huge huge deal and I was like I've been talking about the Thunderbirds and Ultimate, like all this stuff for years and years and years. And this is like the first time that we've brought it up. And that kind of like just occupies this different place in people's minds. It's really interesting and and, and educating to see that it affected people in that way. Because I think I, at least I sometimes get lost in it. Absolutely. It's that's, that's really funny because I have to say, um, so we got two television stories um, just at the end of the season. So one of them was on um, Compact, Comcast Sportsnet, CSN Mid-Atlantic, and the other one was on ABC7 News. It was on, they had it on at like 5 p.m., the 5 p.m. news, I think. And you're absolutely right. It, it was really funny because that the, the day it was on, I drove over, I was going to a neighbor's house um, to pick up my daughter, I think. Anyway, and so I got out of the car, and that person's next-door neighbor who also knew me came running over and said, Don, I just saw you on TV in the breeze. Like, I can't believe it. You guys were on TV. And it was <laughs> the same thing that you're saying. It's like, I've been talking to you about this forever, and we have all this stuff going on, but the, this is the first time you've had any kind of passionate response to me because you saw it on Channel 7. <laughs> and so suddenly there's legitimacy in your mind that you've never had. Like, wow. <laughs> so I, I guess we need to somehow manage to get on TV more because this is going to give us legitimacy among all the people that don't know anything about us yet. It was, it was interesting. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely enlightening. Um, one of the last questions I want to ask you before we start wrapping up is, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I think you just wrapped up a two-year stint on the AUDL Executive Council. Um, I actually was voted in for two more years. 
Okay. So I just I did just finish two uh, two years so far, and I will be on for two more. Gotcha. Can you talk a little bit about your role in that council and also just a little bit about what that council does? We've had plenty of examples of people talking about running the actual franchise, but running the Mm -hmm. league itself is kind of this separate task. So I'd love to learn a little bit more about how that works. Okay, Um, absolutely. Um, And this is an interesting time to ask because we're actually going through a transition right now. So I'll first tell you what we've been doing for two years, and that is that this... uh, our council meets uh, by phone uh, every week, and the, the meeting can be anywhere from an hour to three hours. And it's, it's led, of course, by the commissioner, Steve Gordon. And, uh, but we go through multiple issues. We, people that have been working on something over the course of the week present where they are with it, and then uh, sometimes it's just an update, and sometimes it comes to a vote. You know, the vote can be um, you know, any kind of things that might be based on a potential new franchise or might be based on a, a sponsor or, you know, uniform decisions and you know, that kind of thing. Um, so we, uh, so basically that's how it's been running for the last couple of years is we go out and work on things and then we come back and, you know, report on them and complete them and, and what have you. And the transition is now we are, as our, as the, the league grows, not, not necessarily in terms of new teams this year, but it's just growing in, in every other way. Um, that there's more and more to do and there's and the things we have to do are taking more and more time so we are going to try to become more of a management board and bring in other owners to to get a lot of the initiatives done or to at least work with us so we can be guiding initiatives but not getting everything done on our own uh, because there are only seven of us so there's only so much we can do on a week-to-week basis while we still have our day jobs, if you will, let alone our own teams that we, that we own. So, um, so that's kind of the transition that we're doing. Cool. Mm-hmm. Anything uh, surprising new or particularly big that you're excited for for the 2017 season? Um, we, I guess the, the easiest answer to that is I, I'm, nothing I'm allowed to talk about yet. Okay. <laughs> so we do have a couple exciting things coming up. Um, I think there, you know, there's going to be some uh, some modifications to the uh, the scheduling um, that I think will be interesting. But I'm really not at liberty to get into any kind of details about it yet. We'll we'll let um, Steve Gordon handle that one as soon as he's ready. Cool, that's very fair and uh, very fair of you to share your time and wisdom with us today on the show. Before we let you go, can you please let the listeners know what digital coordinates that we can point them towards if they want to connect with you or learn more about the breeze? Sure. Um, they can send a message anytime to info at the dash dcbreeze.com. And I, that, that anytime somebody sends email to that, it, it also goes to me in addition to a couple other people. And so if they send anything to that and mention me, uh, I will respond personally. And you can also find me on Twitter at, at Don Grage. I'm on Facebook, of course, at Don Grage. So I'm, I'm easy to get a hold of and would love to hear from anybody. We, we're very good at responding with any kind of, uh, you know, any, anybody that contacts us about anything via direct Facebook or Twitter or, or email, we're uh, pretty good at responding to it. And we love to, we love to hear thoughts, opinions, even complaints, because uh, a lot of times that helps us fix things. Fantastic. Well, we'll be sure to link to that in the show notes at goingdeepwithaaron.com slash podcast. Great. And uh, once again, Don, I want to thank you for your time and for uh, coming on the show. 
Absolutely. And uh, I just want to thank you as well and uh, thank your listeners for uh, helping you make this such a success. You've been doing great. It's, it's very impressive what you've done with this podcast. Thanks, Don. Uh, we just went deep with Don Grage. I hope everyone out there has a fantastic day. Thanks. Hey, everyone. Hope you enjoyed that conversation and hope that you'll head over to goingdeepwitharon.com slash join so that you can get the finest digital content curated just for you, along with information about the forthcoming book related to this and the many interviews that I've been doing with people around the world and the ecosystem of Ultimate Frisbee. Really excited to put together a summary, synopsis, and time capsule of this very exciting time for the sport of Ultimate Frisbee. The first five years of professional Ultimate are setting the stage for the next 20, and it's really exciting to get to speak to so many players, movers, and shakers in the space. If you have suggestions for other people that should be interviewed, I'd love to hear them, and I'd also love for you to subscribe and keep listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Thanks for listening. Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.